welcome to Voices of the Fairground. Episode 3, Moving On. The summer evenings are cooler now and it gets dark earlier. I'm sitting on my bench under the trees and looking out across the park at the metallic, blinking other world that's made itself at home here lately. Now it's all folding away. Those mechanical limbs concertinaed back in on themselves, giant metal boxes tucked up and stationary. From under my tree, I imagine the candy floss drum is sparkling clean. There are rows of yellow plastic ducks all lined up in boxes. There's a deflated skeleton at rest with a dry ice machine. And flight cases spill over with mics and cables. Now, the dusky sky is bright with clouds. And all of that neon blinking is being switched off one by one. I stand and walk towards the perimeter of the fair. I wonder where it's off to next. As they pack down and get ready to leave my park, I notice how quickly the landscape is returning to normal. And I want another closer look before it's gone. I revisit the window of the parked up trailer with the old photos on the sideboard. Generations of fun fairs are captured and memorialised in silver frames and they're part of the fabric of this travelling family's living. I'm looking at all of those decades of an industry that has invited us to laugh and to scream and to watch and applaud. And we have. <laughs> We've stared and gawped and giggled. And those memories are literally fixtures on this mantelpiece that I can see through the window. And next to these remembered showmen is the sofa. And draped on the sofa is a teenager. His school tie is flung over the chair's arm. And in his hand, a remote control, zapping repeatedly at the TV. From channel to channel, programme to programme, he settles on embarrassing bodies. An image of a man in a doctor's surgery holding out his arm as the doctor suppresses a grimace. The teenager grimaces too, he can barely look at the TV, but somehow he keeps his eyes wide. Performing rights restricted us. Animal welfare restricted us. You couldn't have a lion now, quite rightly so. Things have changed. I wouldn't want to want a desert lion. I wouldn't want a circus with lions and tigers and elephants now. Um, and yet, you switch the telly on and you see a horse show at Olympia and they're all going through these obstacles and jumping over. You think, well, hang on, what's the difference between that and a circus ring with horses in? I'm not talking about... Um, unique animals like tigers and bounder, horses. And then you go on Channel 4 and they've got Elephant Man on and they've got things, usually people that suddenly are disabled. And 
my wife would say, they've taken over something that we're not allowed to do and we shouldn't be exploiting, you know, the bit, the fat lady and all that sort of stuff. Um, we shouldn't be exploiting, but television's done it. So the evolution of it was that the show got taken over to some extent by television. I move across to the waltzers again, looking up at it as it's slowly dismantled. The DJ is in his booth, packing up his mic. Hours ago, he was calling out to his fairgoers. You can almost imagine his father or his grandfather before that on the same steps, whipping up crowds or spinning the cars on their axes. It's a world away from the deep bass blasted out from the giant speakers at this fair. There's less showmanship than there used to be on the film fair. Um, than there was in the old days. When you look at the books and the equipment and everything else, everything's become faster, more high-tech, all the computer-driven and all that. I think I've noticed a lot of change and, you know, the golden era was like the 70s and the 80s. I'd say that because that's when I enjoyed my time most. I suppose the people before me had said the golden era was the 50s and 60s. But like today, now, you can earn the fairground. It's not like it used to be. You could walk on the people's heads at one time, I was absolutely heaving. The Waltz's DJ is locking up a petty cash box now. I reckon he's seen busier Saturday nights in his time and I wonder if that's been a steady shift or, or something quick and sharp. And meanwhile, a man crawls under the silver platform of the ride and removes chocks. The whole beast is lowered and the cab reverses to meet its cargo. Behind the waltzers, the terraces that line the park watch over all of these folding platforms. Even though the rides are motionless, there's still music. The people that run the fair haven't stopped working. A woman looks out of an upstairs window, directly at the centre of the fair. And someone from the council, with a clipboard, knocks her door at the exact same time as she slams her window shut. If you look at the complaints we got 100 years ago and the complaints you get now, they're still the same thing. Noise, smell, violence, all these sort of accusation. You know, bad lot, they attract the wrong people, robberies go up, you know, they disrupt the town centre and all this sort of stuff. They haven't changed. They never will change. Soon, the woman's out of her front door pointing at the rides even though they'll all be gone by tomorrow. And together, she and Clipboard traipse across the grass towards the fair. She leads the way. Council Clipboard follows dutifully. If you've been going to a fair for so many years, then you get a residence group grow, a strong residence group, and they oppose that fair. Well, there's a good chance that fair's going to be gone. I'm not talking about the fairs in the streets. I'm talking about fairs in parks. They'll complain about the music, they'll complain about, you know, just anything, the lorries. They'll just complain about a lot of stuff because they didn't really want us there. Occasionally we get complaints, you know, about the noise, you know, when we're close to houses. Sometimes we do make mistakes, you know, the, the music carries too far, the wind's blowing the wrong way. Sometimes we might get a bit complacent. We're not perfect. 
that, you know, you still try and put it right. I got a noise meter and I, and I, and I did soundings at oh, different times. Oh, there was eruptions there, the houses, you know what I mean? And I had to buy a noise meter and get a book and go so many times a day and stand there and stand there. I had to have a bike in the end. <laughs> to get round, it was that far, you know what I mean? They just want to be able to, they say they want to open the windows and hear nothing, be in the back garden and hear nothing. It's just difficult in that respect. And I've noticed that uh, travelling fairs, they do seem to be like a dying thing because it, it's, it's got the reputation of being like a rough hole as well. So that's all I say to everybody. Look, we only do a job. It's just that we move around. We're just like you, like your mum and dad or whatever, you know, we're doing a job. The woman and council clipboard make it to the gate of the fairground. She's all arms and pointy fingers. And our high-vis showman is up ahead in the distance and he waves, gives them a happy thumbs up. He's been here before. If you said put a showman here, their perception and image would be a muffler, slightly leather coat, bit dodgy looking character, you know, all right, mate, and all that sort of stuff. I used to think, oh, go on, I'll go on. I'll go on, we're not like you, mate, on the bus. I live in a house and I use a bath. I don't wash my clothes in the stream. That's what they think, seriously. They think you're going to take the kids away, lock your cats up, anything happens in the area when the fairground's there. That, we've done it. And that's still the case today. Even now, they still think that. It never was like that anyway. You always got a pride, you leave the park as you found it. Generally, people have a view of what the fair's like and they couldn't be more wrong. There's more to a fun fair than just a lorry and a diesel engine. But people still... There's a lot of prejudice. A lot of prejudice. High vis council clipboard and pointy woman are all huddled, talking animatedly as the rides pack down around them. But then as soon as they see you and they hear you speak, they realise you're not an alien. Do you know what I mean? We're just like that. I'm born in Birmingham, we've got to put see them down there all the time. Do you know what I mean? And they realise they're not having enough of a planet. They're from here, they're like us. I'm suddenly struck by a change in light on the other side of the park. The rhythmic flashing of the superstar fizzles out. The last of the lights. I watch each car being unhooked from its gigantic claw and then get covered in shrouds of tarp. I look back to the high-vis guy, and he gives another thumbs-up to pointy woman and council clipboard. Then he backs away from his conversation, his head down and into the drizzle. I think about all the pressures on him, getting the crowds in through the gates, paying his staff, keeping the fair safe and secure, keeping the fairgoers happy, keeping the residents happy, the iffy weather. We've been overlooked. Because if you want to go into it, that you know, what a travelling showman is and all that, it's not defined. And this is the problem. I find my way to a lorry and I'm up close. The cab door is closed, but I can see through the window that inside it's as lived in as the trailer it carries behind it. Roadmap, coffee cup, CD cases, tin of fruit drops. And on the outside of the cab door is a badge of honour in the shape of a large round sticker from the Showman's Guild of Great Britain. You know a showman when you see a showman. And on this badge, taking centre stage of its design, 
I can pick out the gallopers. Behind that, a helter-skelter, then a ferris wheel, arch-roofed stalls and fairgoers dotted about. It's a busy image, with loads to take in, as it should be. I can almost picture it spring to life. Horses carouselling, big wheel turning, a tiny symbol of everything the shows are and what they offer. Well, I'll tell you what my definition of a showman is. My definition of a showman is a person who travels with funfair equipment and operates that funfair equipment. What is a showman? Entrepreneur? Usually an extrovert. People come down just to see you, just to, you'd have been on the road how many times, hundreds of times, but they still come down to see you. And they wouldn't do that if they didn't, you know what I mean, if they didn't like you and they didn't trust you. So we'll put the kids on the road if they didn't trust you. The shutter is down on the kiosk. A woman and her daughter step out from the side door, lock it and walk off towards another trailer. They move purposefully, getting on with the next task. And over at the edge of the fairground, a truck slowly rolls out of the park. It's hard work. You know, building the lines up and putting them down, hard, hard work. But this is our culture, this is what we do. And I think for them, for the kids, you know, to be on a fairground amongst other people, and, and this is their job, I think it's a good life. I can see the pirate ship guy leaning against the railings of his ride, he sips at a cup of tea and watches another truck roll out of the park. Miami girl folds up her chair so that the cabin can slot back into its glittery sofa silver box. This truck is about to follow the others out. You've got to work to earn money, to spend on your equipment, so your culture stays, so you don't lose your culture. And if you dress it up that way, you go from being a businessman earning the money to a person of culture. And High Viz Man stands at the front of the fair and watches it all change. What I say is, nobody has the right to put me and my culture any more than a farmer or a miner or anybody into, my, into their box. Yeah. I want my independence my recognition of what I do as being, basically, we're not race a race, we're indigenous English stock. So it's not about race, it's about culture, separate from race. We tend to put the two together. Race and culture go together. They don't necessarily do that. So what I'm saying is, I treasure my own identity, as I do for my colleagues and families. And that I want the recognition for, in terms of legislation, regulation, or whatever within the community. We are entitled, you, me, anybody, to be recognised for what we are, not what people assume we are. We want to define that name as a travelling showman. And we want our culture to be recognised as a travelling showman and that will then be a protected characteristic. And we will get our culture recognised. And when we do that, it will be a marvellous thing. It's a whole 
small world unto its own, with a fabulous culture and history that's the best kept secret on the planet. And that's got to be changed because we are entitled to that to be recognised. Trucks roll out one by one, van by van, trailer by trailer. High-vis waves them through. The fair moves on. But where does it go? Or where is it going? You pull on the place on a Thursday. You'll open on the Thursday, Friday. Well, not anymore. Cut the hours down. But back in the day, you'd open Thursday, Friday. Saturday, what they call gaff day, which is like the fight day or the carnival day, where you really take some good money. And then the Sunday would be like a bonus day. Saturday was always the best day. Sunday was always a bit iffy because the kids are getting bathed early for school and whatever, so everybody sort of left the ground by tea time, only teenagers and things around. So it's sort of, uh, it's hard to get a living on, on there now. It's difficult. I take in the whole space of the fair and I try to picture the people that came. How many were here? Were there less than when I came all those years ago with my best mate or my mum? And those punters are no doubt neatly wrapped up in their homes now. Are they aware of this pull-down? What would they make of it? Do they have a sense of how hard this work is? And not just the work itself, but the long-term graft and the balance of making the work feed the family? Well, you've got to find so much to run your house, you know. It's hard to get a living out of that. And um, when the days and the hours are being cut down as well, you're fighting against it all the time. And you think to yourself, well, can I? Can I keep doing that? You know what I mean? Can I keep doing that? And whether they're born into it through long lines of heritage or they've found their place in the fair later, it's tough to keep it all going. So it's, it's, a, it's a comfort zone when you know that what your father's got is going to be yours. It's all yours when you're on gone. But you've got to make sure that you don't keep them skinned until you're too old to enjoy it. <laughs> so so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill to keep the family all on board um, and all families. There's not really much, much prospect in it for my kids unless I had a piece of equipment of my own. That's why I thought it came out of it in the end. The guy who took the chocks from the waltzer has moved on to another part of the fair. He's looking down at his hands, which are covered in oil and grease. He's wiping at them, but they don't seem to be getting any cleaner. A bunch of lads join him, also covered in oil, they're getting their jackets on, slapping him on the back and making their way out of the gates. He watches them go and gets back to stacking the railings. Probably on 50 now, it's hard work. It's tons and tons of steel to be lifted and stuff, do you know? I mean, you've got to really be fit as a fiddle. And obviously I'm still quite fit, but not as fit as I was. And I can't, I can't do that forever. Can I be lifting steel work like that, tons and tons of dodging plates and things when I'm 60? What am I going to do? And there's no pension plan or anything, is it ain't that kind of job? The hard graft the uncertainty, the weather, the funny looks and assumptions. Why do they do it to themselves? A human beings needs interaction, needs to have fun. Can't lock him up. And what about when they're kept away? When the fairs can't happen and are forced to remain shut? Having to rethink and take on different work? Driving, delivering, building. How do they keep going? Every time I go out in that lorry, my head's always here. And you don't realise, I suppose, how much you miss it until you're not doing it. 
but at least we've got that to look forward to. Do you know, yeah. that draws me. Picture in the end, we'll be back out traveling. What we do, and I'll, at least I've got that to look forward to. A lot of people ain't got that. They're just that's their job and that's that, and they're happy with that. But me, I'm just like, I can't wait, and I look forward to being what we are. Do you know what I mean? Travelers, showmen, and. You can take the showman out of the show. So I'm going to stay in the Shaman's Guild, though, because I've always wanted to be in the Shaman's Guild. Just because I don't work for that family anymore doesn't mean me interest to go on either. So, you know, I've seen all the groups on Facebook and things like that. I'm still well into it. I've still got thousands of photos upstairs of all the old machinery and things. When You know, I like to visit the big fairs and see the people I knew years ago and stuff. So it's always going to be in my blood. You can never, ever take away their heritage. They st- even those that have gone to the coast years ago, keep membership up yeah. of the Showman's Guild. Yeah. Um, and, and they still call themselves showmen. I've got a friend of mine, Austin's got a jewellery shop in, uh, in Margate. Still a showman. Fairs will survive. Outside looking in instead of inside. Well, we've done it like this for 100 years. It's got to be the same. If you don't adapt, you die. And that's, I think, what we've got to recognise, that we've got to um, look at what we do and not necessarily do it just for fun fairs, but don't dump the fun fair because there's a need for it in the community. Back up on my bench, under my tree, the park is, as it was, an expanse of green and ancient trees. The only signs of the fair are a few leftover markings from when they set up. But there's more than that that stays. When people say fairgrounds are finished, they said that when radio came out, they said that when cinema came out, they said that when TV came out. And the biggest fairs are more successful now than they've ever been. I cannot come to this park without thinking of going green on the waltzes as a kid or my first bag of hot donuts my dad bought me. The fair leaves its mark. One does not retire as a showman. My father died at Ashbury in his caravan on the Thursday after the fair. Michael, my youngest son, 40-odd years ago, was born there a Thursday before the fair. Just making friends, like, and nobody... Unless you've worked in that environment, nobody understands what it's like. And, you know, you, you do build up that relationship with people that no-one else really gets because they haven't worked like that. It leaves many marks on the fairgoers and on those that run the fairs. And I suppose it's not just us that have got our memories. You could say, so does the landscape. When the fair is gone... The park is altered, with stories and lives traced over like ghosts on the ground and in the leaves and on the breeze. And everything's working, particularly at night when the lights come into their prime feature. It's an incredible feeling. To see that all working properly, I'm thinking, well, we started this off when I was a kid, my dad, my granddad. If they were here now, would they be proud of what we've achieved? And where would we be without those marks and memories? Where would we go beyond our humdrum existence? Where would we be without the adrenaline 
and noise and lights and the screaming and crying with laughter occasionally without stepping over the edge of what is our normal day-to-day -day into something else different and slightly dangerous and then to safely come back again step over the edge and safely come back again step over the edge and come back you know what it is it's mindfulness perfectly in the moment nothing else matters because i've always believed in working with the community and that's what i wanted to do in the beginning that's why i put a fair on and you get to the real nuts and bolts of it we make some marvelous friends in the community and i like to think that they make some good friends of us in our community and what would we be left with without our wide open empty spaces transformed and bringing people together for all of that. You don't realise, I suppose, how much you miss it until you're not doing it. It's always going to be in your blood. But this is our culture, this is what we do. My sons are in it, my grandchildren will be in it. Uh, I will be here until I turn my toes up. And hopefully the firm will continue for the next many generations, hopefully, says he with his fingers crossed. In this episode, you have heard the voices of Anthony Harris. To see my waltzer in full steam. Fran Lloyd. Me and my friends, we would follow the fair round. Jason Lloyd. And everybody would be inside the waltzer. Joe Wilkinson. It's in your blood, it's what my grandma and granddad done. Robert Wilkinson. My mum and dad had two plus. Hooker, duck and a bingo. And me. Rochi Rampal. The original interviews were made by Alex Howell and Nicola Churchill. The composition and sound design is by Duncan Grimley. The podcast was directed by Steve Johnston. It was made possible with support from Sandwell NBC's Museum and Arts Service, with funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund, thank you all you National Lottery players, and Sandwell Museum and Arts Service. This series was produced by Black Country Touring as part of its Black Country Stories podcasts.